0: it's time for jt the brick so we are open for business again everybody i had a dream that someday we'd have a flagship station with the cooperation of the team and the fans that stream globally. JT the Brick. Are we all on board with that? Because if you're not on board with this, you're going to have to enter a mental asylum. If you're not on board with this, it's going to drive you nuts. Jackpot, baby! And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT coming to you live from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center in Henderson. Raiders HQ, the GM, Dave Ziegler, will join us in a few minutes as I'm excited to be in the building again coming off the draft, excited to talk to the GM here on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM coming off a massive three or four days in Las Vegas. How's everybody feeling coming off the high of that incredible event, how it showcased Las Vegas and how the Raiders came out of the draft on day two and what they were able to do with undrafted free agents, what they're able to do before the draft, and what the Raiders need to do after the draft. Busy show today. Jeff Sherman will also join us from the Westgate. A recap of gambling with the draft. Also, how the NBA odds have changed since the Lakers and the Nets are not with us. And are there any underdog teams that look like their odds are getting shorter? We'll talk to him. And then more of you in the recap. Yesterday was more about the party. Today, because we knew we were getting Dave, we wanted to dive into the draft and what the Raiders are doing with the roster. So any questions you have, any issues, you can hit me up if you got a question right now for the new GM of the Silver and Black, hit me up on twitter i 'll try to take one or two at JT the Brick on Twitter there and you 'll talk directly. remember when i 'm in the building and whenever any of our shows are in the building, please pretend you 're in the building because it 's really important that 's the whole hook to this flagship station. This unbelievable studio that they built for us for radio and podcast is second to none from the TV studio right next door. So with everything that's happening here with the Raiders, I hope you all appreciate it because I do. The access we get to the team and the access that the new regime is giving us as they kick off their run here trying to get the Raiders to a Super Bowl in the next couple of years. We'll go uh, through a couple of the picks. I'm not going to go through every player that was taken here. I want to talk about a lot of the moves that were made before the draft, uh, what the Raiders need to do to tighten the roster, the competitive balance of the AFC West, the history of the Raiders, and learn a little bit more about Dave Ziegler and his process and plan, which we've heard a lot about here over the last couple of weeks. There is a plan in place, and it's different than some of the plans of the past for obvious reasons. Al Davis ran this organization for many, many, many decades, and he was in charge of everything, everything, and people are great with that. He's a Hall of Famer. He had one of the greatest careers in the history of the NFL. We've had a bunch of other GMs who have come and gone. Some have done great. Others have struggled, and now there's a new GM here who's going to get an opportunity for years to come to take that Raiders team and get it to the next level. The plan is in place, as you know, coming from... His experience with the Denver Broncos, which has an historic rivalry with the Silver and Black, and the New England Patriots that have a pretty good rivalry with the Raiders, too, dating back to the tuck rule and the fact that they've been king of the NFL for over 20 years, or 20 years total. And uh, the Patriots are still a team that the Raiders are going to have to deal with, especially this upcoming season. We don't have the schedule, uh, the dates, but we know the teams. I'll ask him about that. Schedule release is coming right around the corner here in May, so we'll get into that and especially the impact that the Raider Nation is going to have on Dave and his family as they settle here in Southern Nevada, which you know I'm very pro-Vegas, and we'll talk to him about what that experience has been like. A lot of NFL teams are now trying to get their players in the building, high-end draft picks, a lot of teams made trades, a lot of teams went back in the draft, but as we sit here today, There's a lot of news in the NFL, from DeAndre Hopkins and his suspension for PEDs to Baker Mayfield still being available in a potential trade from Cleveland that'll have to happen or he'll get cut, and more importantly, June 1st, when some really good players will be available for the Raiders and everyone else around the league when it comes down to those cuts that are made for a variety of reasons. Players are released because they're banged up or injuries, or their contract and their contract status. So with all of that involved, I think the Raiders are off to a really good start with this team of Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. I think every Raider fan that I've talked to has been very calm, very cool and collected, and they like the plan that is in place. It's a different plan than John Gruden and Mike Mayock, who missed on picks and hit home runs with a few. And we're not going to know about these players here for a couple of years, but we want to know about their character. We want to know about their versatility and their ability to play at a very high level here. So we're excited about all this as we get going right out of the gate. And again, whenever I have the honor to be in this facility over the decades, if it was in Alameda or wherever we are now in this beautiful facility in Vegas, it's a high honor to talk to you in the Raider Nation as we welcome in the GM of the Silver and Black. As we get going, Dave Ziegler, kind enough to join us. How are you, Dave? You're all set. I'm
1: outstanding. You're great to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Oh,
0: I love it. And I got to ask you, because we got a lot to cover here. What did it look like to you when you didn't have a pick in the first two rounds, but you looked out at that sea of humanity in Vegas? That must have been outstanding for you to see.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it just, you know, just to see all the the people flock out here to Vegas, which we know is an outstanding city as is, and um, everybody dressed up in there. You know, whether it was their Raiders gear or those were the people I was looking for. Yep. they were uh, there. Y- yeah, but, you know, all the different fans and things like that. And just to see, like, how this event's grown, you know, and then seeing uh, the city of Las Vegas being able to support it. One, it looked like a great time. I know you had a great time. We had a good time. I know Modelo was down there doing their thing. You know, the dude, buckets dude, of Modelo dude, were flowing, We're doing, no We're doing their thing. And, you know, the M had their event. And um, just a cool you know just a cool thing to see. I think the vibe here for me is, like, um, you know, I know it's a new it's a new market, but it just seems like the right fit. Like yeah. the, if the if the Raiders were going somewhere, the Raiders in Vegas, it just seems like a beautiful marriage. And it was a lot of fun to see all those people down there having a good time. And we were working um, and me and Josh were working and continuing to get prepared for the next day um and so we were double dipping but it was yeah definitely fun to see yeah
0: it looked great because you see the bellagio fountains and then you see the link and these are areas that you and your wife and your kids are going to frequent over the next couple of years and hopefully for a very long time and it just popped you know radio yeah. city music hall is something and they moved it around and you know, Kansas City is going to have it coming up here in Detroit, but did you get a sense that Roger Goodell in the league looked at Vegas and said, we want to come back here again?
1: I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? You know what I mean? Like the the link was the thing that was surprising to me. I didn't know how that would all look, but I mean, that was impressive. Um, just the setup and the, the amount of people that were there. And um, I can't imagine um, why they wouldn't want to hold it here every year. Um, but um, I, I, I have to imagine they're definitely going to come back after what the to put on for the, you know, what they
0: put on for the um, the weekend there. Dave Ziegler joins us in studio. So ahead of the draft, did you think there would be that many trades? I mean, nine trades. I can't imagine what that was like as you're sitting back ready to pounce there coming up in the third round, and you see all this movement from A.J. Brown, Detroit, moving up to get a receiver. What was that like as you were putting your plan together and seeing all that movement?
1: Yeah, um, I've learned never to be surprised in the NFL, but – you know, it, it was a, 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 fear, a flurry of activity. Yeah. And it was, you know, you're always kind of, you know, taken back a little bit, like when all these different trades are going on, because it happens so fast. You know, usually when you're doing a trade, oftentimes, I mean, it can be a tedious process, sure. you know, a trade can take months um, to get done or weeks to get done. And so to see it all go down that way, I know, um, uh, Dwayne Joseph, our pro director, one of his jobs in the draft room was kind of keeping track of the trades. And Updating our boards in terms of who we're picking there. And it's like every time I look, DJ was up moving around mo- moving around yeah. and scrambling around. He had the most stressful job over the weekend keeping track of all that those trades. Um, but again, I think it just speaks to um you know where we're going in the league in terms of um from a salary standpoint and 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 managing your cap and you know as as the demands of salaries are going up for some of these premium positions, like you know, you can only have so many of those contracts on your roster. Right. And so teams have to be really sensitive to not just what the outlook is today, but what their outlook is in 23 and 24. Are we going to be able to, you know, pay um, A.J. Brown this amount? How does that affect the rest of sure. our roster? Is it sustainable? And so as those things are happening, I think you're seeing, like, you know, a little bit more of um, some of these these players changing, um, changing venues.
0: That is a great segue, what I wanted to talk about. Before you got here and when you got here, you decided on this position – With Josh and you started to look at the movement that you had to make with current salaries, who you were going to bring in in free agency, who aren't going to get fifth-year options. With your experience, what gave you an edge with that, looking at all those numbers and how to set that part of the roster before the draft?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I was able, you know, to to get some of that experience in New England, and I just think from a roster-building standpoint, like, the one thing that I've talked about for us is when you're when you have a specific vision in terms of the roles on your team and even the roles within each position group, okay, so then within those roles, there's an element of, like, how much you allocate to those different roles. So it's not just this mosaic of, okay, we're going to have eight receivers, okay, and then it's like one receiver, the fourth receiver on our team, ideally fits a specific role where he's a inside to outside player and contributing to the kicking game. So that's a specific mindset that you have. And then there's a certain allocation of money, right, that goes into that role. And so that's throughout the whole team. And I won't you know, go through every role and how we allocate all that type of stuff. But Having that mindset, it gives you a lot more of a structured approach when you're looking at roster building because you have a f- sense of okay, what a third receiver is here, how much that, um, how much we're going to allocate to that position, and how much we value it. It helps kind of set the stru- structure. I would say. Um, from, a, from
0: a monetary standpoint of how you're going to build that. So I would be fascinated to know how that changed with Devontae because a big number, obviously giving up draft equity, so then you set your board up and you know that there are going to be some more offensive players coming in. you got a couple of running backs. You're deciding on what you're going to do. So the experience that you had in the past, did you ever have anything that you think would be that big, pulling the trigger on a monster player via a trade right before the draft and then keep those numbers and those allocations in line? Yeah, well, it's not
1: something we, I would say, in my training um, in New England, that we that wasn't really, um, you know, ever a part of the philosophy there, right? Right. Um, and and so you develop your own philosophy, and and I think what what came what came to fruition there was, um, you know, being able to acquire um, one of the top players, if not the best player, at his position. Um, and also having that player wanting to come here too, sure. you know, and, and so that made it a little bit easier too. And then, yeah, I w- you know, there's a lot of, to your, to your question, before you make that decision, there's a lot of philosophical things that you have to, um, come to understand, like the roster building is going to be different after you make a decision like that right. and how you're going to build the roster and how you're going to be able to spend money, um, this year in free agency, free agency and as you go forward, yeah, it changes your perspective on things. And so we had, we had a lot of discussions before we ultimately made that decision. Like, hey, this is how this is going to impact us going forward. This is how this is going to impact our decision-making process. This is how it's going to impact how we build the team. So there was a lot of discussions before. You don't just do that. Sure. Um, you don't just do that trade unless unless you, you know, maybe if you've um, institutionally been together in one place for 10 years and you understand how everything comes together. But this was a new situation. We had to we had to come to um, an agreement on a lot of things before we made that trade of like, all right, once we do this, like this is how it's going to be going forward. And, um, you know, the draft's going to be a, an important part of this going forward. We need young players to um, contribute and have roles on this team.
0: Dave Ziegler is our guest. One more on that. That must be fascinating now to put in your arsenal and your resume to say with the experience you have and you have a long career in front of you that you pulled the trigger. On a deal like that before your first draft, you knew personally you'd have to wait for the third round. And then when you saw the run on the receivers early in the trades for that, Mm -hmm. did that help you justify your decision even more that you made a great choice? Felt better. Yeah, felt a lot better, (laughs) I can assume, right? Yeah,
1: once that that draft board was cleared out pretty quick of, you know, who those top receivers were. And so um, I think, you know, uh, again, I really wasn't necessarily looking for validation. We felt like ultimately when we made the decision, we, again, we'd thought a lot about it. Um, the ins and the outs of it, the ramifications for 23, the ramifications for 24, how it was going to affect everything. And so we thought a lot about that, but at the same time, um, you know, um, receiver would have been a position to need, you know? Sure. And so um, to see that kind of run happen and it, you know, I, you know, personally, does it help kind of? make you feel a little bit more comfortable about the decision that you made? Sure, you know, it does.
0: A lot of fans nationally were saying this is the Vegas draft because it looked so exceptional and it was amazing, but it was also the Georgia draft. Mm. And when you saw something like this historically, and from what the Raiders have done with Alabama players in the past and Clemson recently – did you imagine that when you saw the run on the Georgia players? You ended up getting one at running back, but the defensive players that started flying off the board, that was incredible.
1: Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And um, once you really spent time watching the team, which, we you know, you end up watching a lot of guys, um, you want to watch the top competition. Sure. So you see a lot of Georgia tape even when you're not watching Georgia guys because you're watching other guys play against Georgia. That's who you want to see. And so once I saw you know Georgia for the twelfth time, yeah. I wasn't too surprised. Three in the morning watching Georgia yeah, tape again. that all these guys went because they were so talented and they just had guys at every position on defense. I mean, um, I mean, a uh, credit to, to, to those guys down there and their recruiting staff and being able to get those players in and keep those players. With the transfer portal now, it's hard to keep those players and find a way to utilize them um, and find roles for them. As a tribute to those guys down at Georgia, they do a great job down there. Obviously.
0: Dave is our guest in studio at the Raiders facility. So you get Dylan Parham at the offensive line position in the third round. So I'm hosting a draft party, and you're up at 86, and then you move back. So I'm figuring you knew you had the player or you hoped you'd have the player. What is that anxiety like when you know that there are a lot of other GMs around the league that might want your— that you know you want to get at 86, but it will probably be there at 90. What was that like?
1: Yeah, that's the anxiety of the yeah. draft. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, throughout the draft, that's where the um, the stressful moments come, and that's where the you know the anxiety comes as you're waiting to pick. Uh, you know who's going to be available. You know you go into. I would say you go into every kind of selection with you know more than one player. Um, obviously, sometimes it can get down to one player. But, uh, you know, the best strategy is have you know, you know to be comfortable with a couple guys at a couple different slots. Um, ultimately, you know, we, um, we had a team that wanted to move up, and we felt like the trade was, was worthwhile for us from a point standpoint. When you look at, um, you know, again, every trade is monitored by points. You're mm-hmm. winning trades. You're losing trades. You're sure. even. We felt like we were getting really good value out of the trade, and we felt like there was going to be a couple guys there we hoped there would be a couple guys there if we traded back that we were going to be comfortable taking at slot 90. Um, and, and Dylan was, was one of those guys, and Dylan ended up being there. and so, um, It was a good feeling to have him still there. You're kind of just staring at that screen as those picks come up, you know, um, you know hoping that that guy doesn't go. So I'm definitely sure. some anxiety.
0: That was great. Then Zamir White, the running back. So – in your due diligence with him, because his story is so incredible, and the Georgia tape you talked about watching with him at running back, and the running back room is pretty much filled up now. You have a lot of competition there. What was one or two things that really jumped out, maybe one on the field that you yeah. saw, but something about his character that was really important?
1: physicality and speed on the field. Like, he's a guy that runs between the tackles. He's powerful. He runs behind his pads. Um, he creates yards on contact. And so there's this physical element to that player. Um, I would say it, a lot of times when you have those physical backs, you it, it, the the rarity part is his speed. So he ran a four three nine coming out. So to have the combination of this physical element, but also have a guy that can hit the home run sure. when he gets into open space, I'd say those are the, the kind of the unique combination of him um, as a player that were that were intriguing. In terms of the kid, I, I think um, he had been through a lot of life adversity. Um, not just some of the health things that he went through, like when he was born, uh, also you know the knee injuries yeah. that he has, that he has had uh, and so to know that a guy has went through so much life adversity and had come out the other end with still remarkable traits, remarkable character, um, hard to find a bad thing um, that someone 's going to say about about this guy um, tells me a lot about just the level of maturity when you 're coming into the league. All the different transitions that you're going to have to go through from living on your own to a new city to a new playbook, um, all the different things that come up um, with be- becoming a professional athlete, uh, looking back at what he would already been through, gives you more confidence that you know, he's going to be able to handle those things in a mature way and you have a low-maintenance player on your hand.
0: Dave Ziegler live in studio at the Raider facility. My favorite part of the draft was the fourth and fifth round, LSU and Tennessee. And then they put the video up. of, it. And we only have so much of it. And we see both players pop. And the, the physicality and the strength and how quick uh, Neil and especially Matthew are off the ball. Tell us a little bit about their speed, versatility on top of what they had coming into camp soon.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, Neil's a big guy. That can anchor the middle. And I think the thing about Neil that you saw on tape was he can eat space, which is an important thing. You want to plug gaps, right? You want to close down running lanes. The thing that he was able to do that we liked um, that you saw on tape is he also was able to defeat blocks and make plays so there's one thing about a guy that can just come in there and eat space and just kind of man the middle, but um, you know Neil for a bigger guy is able to defeat blocks, make some plays out of the out of his gap. He has a nimbleness about him I'd say with his feet he he can move a little bit um, and you know when you looked at the senior bowl tape. Um, you know, he had a lot of, um, just impressive snaps there, whether it been from the one-on-ones or, or in practice where he's going against some different style of offensive lineman and being able to just to be physical and, and, and kind of be a, a guy that could create a new line of scrimmage. And so I think those were some of the things that were uh, attractive about him when we watched his tape, um, Matthew brings a little bit of a different element in terms of he's not as big, um, he's under 300 pounds. He's a very instinctive player. Uh, he can move around the line of scrimmage a little bit more. So, you know, we have, um, you know, when you look at our roster, we have a lot of big guys um, that can eat space. Uh, Farrell's a big guy. Hankins is a big guy. Um, Billings is a big guy. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a couple other guys that, you know, a Vernon Butler, who we signed as a big guy. And so, we have a lot of big guys, and we like big guys. That's why we have a lot of them. Uh, but Matt gives you kind of a guy that can move across the line of scrimmage. He can line up at the one technique. He can line up at the three technique. Uh, we hopefully have some versatility to line up, you know, four or five technique. And there's a, a little bit more of um, he, he's really efficient at defeating blocks and finding the football, making plays out of his gap too. But he can do it from he, – he showed the ability to do it from different spots. And so it's kind of a different piece inside than some of the guys that we had. And, and, and again, another guy – character um, very high. Yes.
0: We saw that with Vince Wilfork with the Patriots. When you have a guy that demands a double team, and then the Patriot running back, uh, excuse me, linebackers when you were there that were able to make plays a little bit easier mm-hmm. because of the scheme and being able to attack and knowing that there wasn't a problem up front. Now we stay here in Las Vegas where you have the depth at that position or at least growing it. And you have Chandler Jones and Max coming off the edge. So the fact that you didn't get a linebacker until the undrafted free agents, when you looked at that, did you feel like this – defensive line had to be solidified because everything will be better from the linebackers to the secondary after that.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think just philosophically like building it inside out is is um you know something that we've always believed in and you know having those big guys up front like like you just said it. They they eat space, they keep players off those, you know, off yeah. those guys at the second level and um you know we're excited about the guys that um we got in college free agency there and um Not to say that, you know, again, we're looking to improve every position uh, constantly. Um, But, you know, having a big, strong defensive line does give you some – gives those guys at the second level some relief. Some relief.
0: Do you believe that just historically where you've come from and your tree and what you like so much about this, the undrafted free agents is something that you want to explode on. That's going to be part of your namesake. What was it like after day three and getting all these scouts, new scouts, people you've known, people in the building? Take me through that process and how difficult it was, fun it was, and how ready you were for it.
1: Yeah, it was really, it was one of the most efficient processes I've been a part of. Outstanding. Um, Champ Kelly, our assistant GM, and, and um, some of our other um, area scouts, our national scout, Sean Harak, Andy Dangler, Dewan Daniels, and a plethora of the area scouts. Um, but those guys really took the lead on, I would say, getting it organized, um, getting it set up, tiering out the different guys, you know, the A tier, B tier, C tier players, if you will, um, having a lot, having a lot of dialogue with the players. Um, you know, through the, through the process where um, and I'm talking about even back in March where you're zooming guys and being able to kind of, um, get to know players, recruit players to a degree during that time. Um, so we were really ready for it. Those guys had done, did a really good job of being prepared. And once the bell rang, it was, man, we were ripping and rolling. And, yeah. and, and before you knew it, um, you know, our class was, we we were good to go, you know, and we, we filled out our class with the guys that we wanted to at the positions that we wanted to. Now you're talking about you're looking more at need. You know, we we talked a lot about the best available player throughout the draft. But when you get into college free agency, you're still looking for the best available players. But you're also looking like, okay, we need to have 12 receivers, you know, at Mm -hmm. camp or we need to have so many tight ends. And so there's much more of a focus on need. But um, I can't say enough about, you know, what our group did. And I would say that's been kind of a theme that's been um, something that's been impressive to me. Um, since we've been here on the scouting side. And I know Josh would say the same thing on the coaching side. We've brought a lot of new people in. um, And, uh, you know, from we started in April, um, you know, a small group of us getting ready for the draft and kind of just working from the the draft, Mm -hmm. uh, each position top to bottom. We hadn't spent a lot of time together. And and we talked about it at the end. It was like we felt like we'd been working together for five years. Um, It was just kind of that level of continuity and and, um, uh, a bunch of guys kind of, uh low ego guys driven by team and it's been a it's a really cool process. So again, hats off to those guys. They did a great job in college free agency.
0: Last position group, I want to go back to the offensive line. June first. Post June first, do you think there'll be an opportunity? It could be a big name that gets cut on cut down. It could be an injury; someone got banged up. How important is that now with the development of Alex Leatherwood? What you have with Colton Miller? What you did in the draft with your first selection to maybe find one more player? How do you find that added depth still on the offensive line?
1: Yeah, well, I think um, we're, one we are really excited about the guys that we have on the offensive line and, and their development and and. Um, I've said it before, I think we have a a lot of guys that are ascending players there um, that are going to continue to get better. Um, But at the same time, like you you mentioned, and I would say whether it's the offensive line, really any position, like um, post-June 1st. Um, there'll be some players there, um, you know, there's there's trade opportunities, you go into the preseason, you know, a, as um, different position battles develop, and then other teams are looking at, you know, they want the young guy to play, then the, you know, the older veteran guy gets cast to the side, or the, um, the cut down at the 53, when there's going to be players available there. We're going to always look at all those avenues to add players, and the offensive line, um, You know, I would say you can never have enough of them. Um, You know, because it is a it is a position where there is so much development that takes place because the college game is so much different than the pro game when it comes to run schemes and pass protection and things like that. And so, you have to if you're not quarterback's no different. Like I think you have to be. You know, you have to kind of be in the quarterback market all the time too um, to 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 find players because that's that's a position that there's a developmental aspect to. And so. whether it 's the offensive line or whether it's anybody any other position we're always going to be um, whether it 's um through our league contacts and finding out what where teams are at in terms of their roster or what actually comes across the waiver wire um, we're going to be you know dialed into those
0: spots and looking for players. Dave, as we wrap this up, how much do you and Josh love competition? You came from one of the <clears throat> great organizations in football the last twenty plus years. Fans want to know that level of competition. There's been previous coaches who have been real competitive, too. We know their names Mm -hmm. and other executives here. But what make you two as a team ultra competitive, especially with the calendar flipping now to May as we get to June and you get everybody here in-house?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, we have had we've been very fortunate to to experience a very high level of success throughout our careers. Um, you know, for myself, um, you know, I started in the league in 2010, and um, I, there's only been two seasons where I haven't been in the playoffs, um, and, you know, four Super Bowls, um, and, you know, Josh is, his streak's even a lot longer. His streak than, is insane. His, his streak's insane. Yeah, it's, a lot it long, it's a lot longer than mine, so um, I don't know. Like, once you taste it, um, you know, it's it's a taste that never leaves your mouth, and so like, and, and also knowing what it looks like and what it takes, right? So we've seen it, we know what it looks like, we know what it takes, and, and we've tasted it. And so that drive for us, um, I would say is just, um, it's all we really know, because it's all we've experienced. And so, um, you know, we we're competing at a high level. I'm competing today. Sure. You know, I'm competing against that checklist I have in my office of all those things that I need to get done that I think are going to help improve the team and help improve this organization and for me it's a it's a race from the the time I step in the building until the time that I go and I know Josh has that same mindset also. So it's really, um, it's, it's it goes beyond just the field, too. It's, you know, we we really are kind of, we're always talking about the way that we can improve every single aspect of the organization, and um, whether it was the, um, you know, the draft process. Uh, I had a conversation about how, you know, what the post-draft food was like, there you, y- go. you know, and what the menu was like. The restaurants and, in
0: this town, and, and <laughs> it's good to order in here in this town, yeah, I can tell you that. No
1: doubt. So, um, you know, we, we're looking at all those things, and um, Josh and I have been competing since we were 18 years old. You know, we were in the same wide receiver group. So we were competing against each other at that time for play time. And so it's just, it's a, it's just a natural, um, it's a natural kind of, a. A feeling between the both of us of, of how we operate and how we move. And
0: that's why we get along so well. I think what's so fascinating for you guys is the success you talked about, especially recently and competing against the Raiders in the past mm-hmm. and the history of the Raiders in mm-hmm. Al Davis. Mm-hmm. Have you had an opportunity to step back? When did that hit you the most that, man, I've been scheming against the Raiders and going against the Raiders and wanting to beat them. And now I'm a Raider. When did that hit you for the first time?
1: yeah I would say just you know when we pulled up to the facility or the day of the press conference um when we were going to do the introductory press conference and you know you see this beautiful building pop out of the pop out of the desert and then you see the you know the torch out front and the flame going, and I think that's kind of where it that's kind of where it hit me yeah I could tell. um you know where I'm like all right man, well, like we're we're raiders now and and um you know, growing up, um, you know, I was, you know, the Raiders were always just one of those franchises. It's always just been a cool franchise. Like the Raiders are cool. Yeah. You know, and and from Bo Jackson to Marcus Allen to Rich Gannon to Mr. Davis um, and, and uh, Charles Woodson. And, you know, then Jerry was here and, you know, all those different people here and just looking at this emblem here, like, um, you know, it was just uh, that moment when we pulled in and saw that torch and just saw this building and saw the silver and black, it was like, Man, we're really like we're really here. Um, we're really Raiders, and hit it hit me. And I still, when I walk in in the mornings, you know, sometimes I look up and you know see the Raiders emblem on the side of the building and the words, and I'm like, I'm you know the GM of the Raiders. Like time this is time to get to work. Yeah, time to
0: get to work. This is awesome. Uh, last one. And I appreciate you being so generous with your time. What are your expectations from the fans? These fans have been through a lot. They have a deep history. Cliff Branch mm-hmm. will be re- uh, represented in Canton, Ohio. You have the Hall of Fame game. When you interact with these Raider fans since you've been here, and you're going to be at Allegiant Stadium representing this franchise, what are your expectations from these great fans?
1: Um, well, I would say, uh, while I was out in New England, I oftentimes when I was a pro scout would have to go advance games, right? So you'd go and, and see the next opponent, and sometimes it was the next opponent you were going to play. Uh, um, <clears throat> it didn't mean like I may be going to watch the 49ers, but they happen to be playing in Oakland right? So I went to a lot of games in, in, in Oakland, and so um, I saw what that black hole was like, and I also saw the elements in the parking lot before the games, you know, what that energy was like, and then um, going into the stadium, getting to see um, kind of that that part of the stadium operate. Um, so what my expectations are, I'd say, um, very similar to what I saw then was a lot of passion, a lot of noise, um, a lot of distraction, a lot of colorful characters, um, and just a lot of people that, like, love the Raiders, but also, like, understand their role as fans of affecting the game. Raiders fans, like, one thing that I noticed going out there is, like, they understand the flow of the game. They understand yeah. when it's third down. They understand when it's a crucial moment in the game. They understand when it's a two-minute drill. Like, they're there to be disruptive, and I like that. I like Raiders fans that come in on Sundays and want to be disruptive and have a good time, and um, that's what we expect, and I would say just um, – you know, about the interactions that I have had with fans here. Um, it's really cool to see the passion here. But, you know, the Raiders brand is like, that's international, you know, and, it, and it's across the country. It's all through California. It's in Mexico. Um, the Raiders is a brand that is global. And so, um, you know, we're, we're really excited about um, that first game and, and uh, hearing those fans and their, and their vocal strengths.
0: Thanks for having us in, Dave. Great to get to know you now, and I yeah. hope I can come in here and do this more often.
1: Anytime, Jake- You got it. I appreciate Figler, you.
0: Really appreciate you. When we come back, we'll recap that, and we'll talk about what the Raiders are doing with the calendar. The big day coming up, the schedule release, a day that the Raider Nation always appreciates. That's brought to you by P.T.'s. That's happy hour in town, 5 to 7 midnight to two. When we come back, we'll recap the interview. Take your phone calls at 702-365-9200. The flagship of the silver and black Raider Nation Radio.
1: you I know, I think what what we look at when we when we when we evaluate every position uh, again is is there's the way that we look at at all positions there's different roles to, to be filled. You have sub running backs, you have change of pace running backs, you have first and second down running backs. And so um, there's going to be different roles to to fill throughout that that position group. Um, just you could look at, you know, defensive tackle, you're going to have guys that play in sub, guys that play in base, same thing at linebacker, so on and so forth. So there's different roles and there's going to be competition for those roles and so however that ends up filling, you know, kind of filling out, it fills out and um, you know we have a lot of talented players there, and and so um, we always want everybody to compete. You, you know, everybody we want to have that mentality that they're competing for the competing for a, a spot, and are motivated to compete for playing time and, and things of that nature. And um, running back will be no different.
0: JT, back with you. Dave Ziegler was just with me for about close to a half hour here in studio. Really appreciate appreciate Dave's time and. Really, it's like talking to a laser beam. I've been doing this 25 years, interviewed a lot of executives. This guy is really locked in. I mean, really locked in. I've interviewed him before, but never in person, and really excited about the conversation we had on and off the air. And Raider Nation, you should be pretty excited, too. He went pretty much position by position, his philosophy, what they want to do about competition, what he saw in the draft, and there's only so much we can get to. The competition, hopefully we'll have him on. We just talked about it after the schedule release to talk about that. And I'm impressed, and I think everybody's impressed. And I know there's a honeymoon period in all of sports for everybody, but you can tell his level of competition and how focused he is, along with Josh McDaniels. There's a reason. They were teammates together in college and what they were able to accomplish at New England. And that kind of blew me away. You know, coming into the league since 2010 and only missed the playoffs twice with four Super Bowls and then Josh McDaniels with six Super Bowls and what they bring to the table. Uh, the biggest part of the interview that you know, I, I got from me personally, I don't know about you, is their taste for winning. I mean, these guys expect Super Bowls. They are not here to get to the playoffs. They're here to win Super Bowls. Let's get your reaction. 702-365-9200. Jeff Sherman's going to join us in a few minutes in his regular spot as we get ready from a gambling perspective of what came off the draft and what's happening in the NBA. We have a draft analyst on next hour to recap the draft, but I want to hear from you. I'm Dave Ziegler, and today was the deep dive day. Today's the day that I had to prep for this, you prep for this. Let's hear what you think, what happened in the draft, your takeaway about what needs to happen next. And there's no doubt in my mind, absolutely no doubt in my mind, that on June 1st, post-June 1st, more people are coming into this roster. We mentioned about the contracts that they didn't renew and how that affected them and their board coming into the draft. And they got a lot of respect for the guys who weren't renewed. He addressed, it, he addressed that 10 times in his press conference here. But now it's about the players in the building. If you've made the cut and you're here and you're in the building, you have a shot to make this team. We know the superstars who don't have to worry about a roster spot. And fortunately, there's many. Uh, from special teams, from the punter to the kicker, to Chandler Jones and Mad Max, to what we're seeing with Carr, Walla, Renfro, Devontae, the players that they brought in. Uh, Some of the running backs, I mean, that running back room, uh, that's got to be the story, the entire story it will be made throughout the preseason in camp. Depth on the offensive line because they added depth. They added two players in the draft who have the ability, their first pick overall, the third-round pick. Parham is definitely going to be the player that is fighting for a starting position, and I think he should start. They drafted him. That's the player that they had circled. Get him out there, let him play as a rookie, and develop like Colt Miller was able to do and other players here. They like Alex Leatherwood for now. They do. They believe that he's in the building here. And then the players that they didn't trade away, and they're going to have a shot to prove that they could work with the new head coach. So that was exciting. Thanks again to Dave Ziegler. We went a little bit late on that. We'll come back with Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, top of the hour. I expect to hear from a lot of Raider fans on that conversation. You're in the building with me. Sound off like you got a pair. 702 365 on the flagship of the Raiders. My initial questions, I'm
1: just uh, thankful. I'm not really too familiar with the Raiders organization as a whole. And so I'm looking forward to getting to meet my teammates and uh, that coaching staff really soon. Um, really excited to be there be in town and get ready to play some football it's about that time
0: it is about that time jt back with you the first overall pick for the raiders came in the third round dylan parham and we'll get to know him a little bit more as we'll be knocking out interviews with these draft picks when they get settled in here uh, i'm excited dave Ziegler was great to talk to we'll look for your reaction at the top of the hour jeff sherman joins us in his weekly tuesday spot uh, the uh, guy who knows the market as good as anybody when it comes to risk management as a handicapper over at the Westgate. Uh, Jeff, let's jump in. What was your overall big takeaway from the NFL draft, from a gambling perspective, who was able to win some money, how the handle looked, and what will we learn going forward? Yeah,
2: I mean, we, we had solid handle, you know, with it being in town, and uh, so it was the largest that we've ever dealt. Uh, the books, most of them came out losers again, as we do, because this is just such information-driven, and especially when it started leaking out who the number one pick would be. So, you know, we talked last week. We had to close uh, the the betting uh, the night before, 24 hours before the draft started. But we did have them open in our other jurisdictions all, all the way until 5 p.m. Pacific. So uh, a lot of handle with that. Um, the, the players did really well. As far as teams themselves, you know, we're in the same boat as – Moving some odds around, we thought the Jets did well. We lowered them from 150 to one down to 100 to one. Um, you know, along with along along the line of the Raiders getting Devonte Adams using some draft picks, the Eagles doing the same thing. We lowered the Eagles from 50 to 30 when they got AJ Brown in the trade. So that's some effect of the of the draft itself.
0: Oh wow! So the I thought the Eagles Jeff had an unbelievable draft overall, and the trade really made that a big of a difference over at your book.
2: Yeah, lowering them from 50 to 30 is pretty yeah. large. And we did the
0: same thing with New Orleans. We lowered them from
2: 60 to 30. So that's quite a jump they made, too, with their, their draft picks. Uh,
0: interesting with all the trades. How did that react in outside markets there also? Nine trades in the first round and how that affects the marketplace and the odds and people trying to win.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's you see things fluid because when the trades are happening and you think that's more impactful immediately, So you start seeing bets come across the mobile app on these teams. So we're quick to adjust and have to pay attention to that. So, you know, you don't expect the rookies to jump in as quickly, but when the trades happen, like I mentioned, A.J. Brown, that's what's going to move things.
0: Jeff Sherman joins us from the Westgate. One more on the NFL. You know, the quarterback market, there's still Baker Mayfield out there, and we know next year there's going to be a whole bunch of quarterbacks coming in there. Were you surprised Pickett went 20 and then Malik Willis dropped so far down where a lot of people had him on mock drafts anywhere from 6 to 20?
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that was a surprise because he had his over-under draft position at 15.5, so far from that. But, you know, from what we've been hearing about, just there was other areas to concentrate on in this draft. And if you can't find the one that you think is going to be a franchise quarterback, it's really tough to go with them um, unless you're really invested in that player. So, you know, we knew uh, what Pittsburgh's position was, and they went with the, the local guy. But um, you mentioned Baker Mayfield, and he's running out of spots to go to right now. And You know, from my guess, Seattle might be one of the remaining places, but there's not too many places. Uh, you know, Carolina out of the running with him, so... Um, it, it's a tough situation for him, and we'll have to see what direction the Browns go.
0: Jeff Sherman from the Westgate. One more with DeAndre Hopkins in that six-game suspension. Also Christian Kirk to Jacksonville. Any movement with Arizona coming into the season?
2: Yeah, that's one of the teams that we've raised up quite a bit. They went from 25-1 to 1 up to 40-1 to 1, and because of the confluence events that you just talked about. So uh, a lot of movement and not much betting support for them at this time.
0: Jeff, I want to get right to the NBA in limited time here. I couldn't believe that Boston wasn't ready in Game 1 at the Garden, and Milwaukee came in there. The physicality blew me away because it was all about Boston's physicality against the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, talk about what's happening in this series so far as the reigning champs and Giannis stole that game and home court advantage in Boston.
2: Yeah, no doubt, a large shift in the uh, series price. We had Boston minus two dollars before Game One. Now it's Milwaukee minus one thirty, Boston plus one ten. The line for tonight's game, Boston has gone up to minus five point favorites uh, after opening four. So uh, a lot of support for the Celtics here. People thinking that they're going to bounce back and be tough to see uh, Brown and Tatum have as poor games as they did in the in the first game. So you know, maybe a little bit ahead of themselves in the first game, but. Uh, The betting public's expecting them to bounce back tonight.
0: Let's talk about the price with the Heat and the Sixers, and the Heat were the best team in the East all year long, and people still doubt them. But now the 76ers, Harden looks like he's lost. Harden doesn't look like he's in any type of flow. Embiid is out, and they want to hurry Embiid back, which I think is a smart move because they're going to get eliminated pretty quickly. They have to protect home court. Tell me what you're seeing with 76ers' Heat. Yeah, a lot of
2: support. Miami from the tip so uh you know that that line is up to eight for game two um the series price we have Miami minus 700 Philadelphia plus 500 and right now Miami is the favorite in the east at plus 150 and they're not the favorites in the title but it's just because they're so large in their series price here while Boston Milwaukee have a closer to pick them series price that it makes Miami the favorite in the eastern conference at this point
0: uh, Jeff, as we wrap this up, wow, the Warriors, Draymond gets ejected. They find a way to win that game. I think they'd win the series even if they lost that game. They couldn't drop two to Memphis, but all the momentum is switched back to them. What expectations do you have for Memphis going forward after losing a heartbreaker?
2: Yeah, it's going to be tough because they're just a young team, and you know they learned a little bit last year losing to Utah. They won the first game and lost the next four last year in the playoffs to Utah. Now it feels like they're going through some more growing pains now. They had a tough series with Minnesota. Now this is a step up, and Golden State comes away with a win, so now they got a free game to play with here to really put a stranglehold on the series. So Memphis just being young, they might be a year away, but uh, right now all signs are pointing towards Golden State and Phoenix.
0: Jeff Sherman from the Westgate as we wrap it up. You know, Roy McElroy doesn't win much anymore, but he's a hell of a golfer at Wells Fargo's championship. You have him as a heavy favorite. At ten to one, how's the rest of the field there? And tell me about the price on Rory here to win.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like last week down in Mexico with John Rahm, where the field is not very solid. I was, ex- I was a little disappointed with the field, but Rory, the favorite at ten to one, we've actually seen some support on him, so he's down to nine to one. But then you go all all the way out to the twenties for the next set of golfers: Corey Connors, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tony Finau at twenty five. So a large discrepancy between the favorite and the next set of golfers, and You know, they've only played on this course in Potomac twice on the PGA Tour recently in 2017-2018, so not much course history to go off here, but uh, just Rory, a strong favorite this week.
0: Jeff, finally, we're both based in Vegas, and the Golden Knights didn't make the playoffs, and that was a – gut punch to our social lives, let alone the handle here with all the hockey fans that would come in, and especially the night fans who had the ability to bet so much. Uh, What what are you looking at now when it comes to the NHL and the future odds for the Stanley Cup playoffs?
2: Yeah, we are expecting a dip and handle with the Knights not being in the playoffs at this point, but uh, we're still seeing solid support for the larger favorites, you know, Florida, Colorado, teams like that on a nightly basis. Right now, the Avalanche are seven to two favorites for the Cup. Uh, Florida 9-2, to two. then you get up to Toronto and Calgary at 7-1. to one.
0: Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. Always appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, JT. That's Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate, as he's the vice president of risk management. If you're going to bet the NBA in the playoffs here, uh, that, that doesn't seem to be a clean favorite for me. It, it's Phoenix and Miami. If we get Phoenix and Miami in the finals, that's a great final. That's an unbelievable final because they've been the best two teams all year long. As we all got wrapped up into the Laker drama, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. But now that things are settling, and look at Milwaukee. If Milwaukee's able to go up, uh, go up 2-0 in Boston, the series is over. I-, I like Boston. I like Boston coming into this series. But Boston's got to play tonight like it's Game 7. Bobby, you're a Celtic fan. Do you agree with me? I mean, this is a game you split you lose home court anyway you go to Milwaukee that's going to be intense but you have to win this game and i didn't see i didn't see the pop from the celtics look like they had too many days off and they weren't ready to play
1: they look like was, they was they look like they were playing in mud on they sunday did. it was yeah. horrible they really got to come out tonight and establish the dominance between Tatum and Brown that's yes. that's the only choice if they i mean Giannis is going to get his points but if they let Holiday and the rest of them go nuts this thing's over
0: yeah, the problem is, Giannis is a hell of a player and he can control Tatum. In the other series, Durant couldn't control Tatum. No one could. Blake Griffin couldn't. There wasn't anybody to do that. Milwaukee does have Lopez and Giannis that can make it very difficult for Tatum at the rim. So, Dave Ziegler was our star guest today in studio here. A lot of the ve- they took video of it. We were on camera for the whole thing. So, that'll be at Raiders.com. You'll be able to see splices of that and we'll play sound bites. We'll replay that interview on Friday. For those who have missed it, we are off tomorrow. We are preempted by the Aviators. And I love that because we're not preempted by the Oakland A's. I talked to Damon Bruce, my friend who's a sports talk host up in San Francisco, Dave Cavill. And Damon Bruce were supposed to have a radio debate. And then Dave Cavill wanted to have a moderator and all the topics ahead of time. And Damon Bruce said, get out of here. This A's deal is a disaster. And I'm embarrassed living in Vegas, not for the politicians who want the team to come here for the economy. I get that. But for the members of the media who have no clue about this topic and are kissing butt to one of the worst franchise owners in all of sports.